1: Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris.
0: What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co host, Iris, and I am here with my older brother,
1: Wesley older brothers not looked upon favorably in this movie what is it
0: stand
1: by me actually denny was well regarded but he was dead but like eyeballs kind of a wiener
0: and what's Vern's older brother's name
1: is it charlie
0: charlie hogan he was under the porch tessio tessio yeah and then there's also Lardass hogan so they like the hogan he likes the hogan name
1: oh no sorry In the, when talking about Lardass, yeah, you remember, he was Charlie Hogan's brother, but Charlie wasn't a character in the movie.
0: Oh, that's weird.
1: I was wondering where that name came from. (laughs) It's like one of Ace's gang was related to Lardass, which they edited out. Do you remember the TV edit?
0: The TV edit didn't have the um, the
1: lardass story. So bad, I distinctly remember we had this on VHS that we recorded from TV. The TV edit. So during the lardass scene, when they're chanting for him, like "Go, go, eat the pies" or whatever, beat uh, boss man Bob Cormier. They cut out the ass. <laughs> so it's everyone? Yelling, Lord, 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 <laughs> because it had that cadence, right? Lord ass, Lord ass, Lord, 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 Lord. Oh
0: my god, that's terrifying! Yeah, that's amazing. It's like stuff of nightmares. I think
1: all the puke was in there, just they couldn't say ass. <laughs> so, p- Portland, uh, we know Stephen King, even Rob Reiner knows and likes Stephen King so much based on this adaptation of one of Stephen King's works that he named his, Rob Reiner is behind Castle Rock uh, Entertainment. Oh. That's how invested he is in Stephen King. Uh, Rob Reiner, of course, the director, uh, son of legendary Carl Reiner, who just passed away recently, Uh, regards this as one of his favorite films, if not his favorite film. And it was one of his earliest films. It really kind of established him. And uh, Stephen King was well established by this point. Stand By Me was based on his novella, The Body, from different seasons. But if you know Stephen King, where is Stephen King based? Maine. Maine, where there is a Portland. Portland on opposite coasts. Rob Reiner somehow overlooked this. So this is set in Castle Rock, Oregon, somewhere near Portland. Portland Oregon and obviously so much of Stephen King's writing is about these upstate country folk and I guess this movie had the junkyard guy and the guy at the grocery (laughs) store but otherwise it was these kids out in the woods near a river which could have been either Oregon or Maine
0: pop quiz name of the food mart and food mart owner which are one and
1: the same oh man uh oh wait wait they're talking about it on the train track. So, so and so's is not far from here. We can pick up some stuff there. It's like Giancarlo's or something. It's right there. <laughs> Hang on. It's uh, Guida 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 Chulos or Guida 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 Carlos, something like that. Mister, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I'm gonna take up all of this podcast time racking my brain for the right. Wait, Guida Guida Carlos, Guida Chulos. You're
0: so close <laughs> You're, I mean, you basically have it
1: What is it? How do you pronounce it?
0: It's definitely spelled with a Q But it was Guida
1: Choluz. Guida Choluz Guida Choluz
0: I mean, I'm looking at it, I don't know how to pronounce it And the owner guy goes on and on
1: About Denny? About
0: Denny Yep Does, does nobody realize that Gordy might have feelings about his brother's passing?
1: I don't know, man People are wrapped up in their own minds and it sucks because that's Gordy's limbo. Denny was the football star, right? And that was yep. all his dad talked about. Gordy wrote a story. Who cares about Gordy's story? Now when son, when you're out there tomorrow. Do you see when you start talking about girls, his mind starts to wander. Right. In that authoritative dad tone. But I'm sure you can understand being overshadowed by, you know, a hugely talented older sibling and how that kind of leaves you sort of drifting and in in the wake. It's got to be difficult.
0: Poor Gordy. Um, But I see how he... I, I see what they did here because I know, having read The Body from different seasons, that Chris Chambers levels the gun at Ace in the end of The Body. And I see totally why they give it to Gordy in Stand By Me.
1: Yeah, it's something that Stephen King didn't anticipate. He actually said he left the room and came back and said it was one of his best adaptations when Rob Reiner screened it for him and said... I should have done that. I wish I had written that. It's so obvious that Gordy has to come into his own.
0: I mean, that's a big change for the adapters to have made.
1: Is it strange that, I mean, Different Seasons is arguably the most well-known of Stephen King's works in terms of successful translation. I mean, Shawshank Redemption is far and away the best Stephen King adaptation as regarded by pretty much anyone, right?
0: Better than Stand By Me?
1: Well, we'll get to that. This is the Beverly Hills Cop Coming to America discussion. But <laughs> Shawshank Redemption consistently beats The Godfather and Citizen Kane on best movie lists of all time. Mm. And so to have that little book of novellas, which also has App Pupil, which was successfully adapted, that's a pretty strong case for what's your favorite Stephen King book? Oh, dude, different seasons. Nobody says that. <laughs>
0: This is where the screen transcends the literature.
1: Yeah, and it's not easy to do. I think even with all these heavyweight successes and The Green Mile and and Carrie and Misery and all these movies that we know as well, I think the crappy Stephen King adaptations probably still outweigh the good ones.
0: Well, there's a lot of crappy Stephen King books.
1: (laughs) I wouldn't have thought this, you know, hey, of all the works, what do you think would be best translated to the screen? Ooh, the body. I don't know that this one stood out.
0: I was thinking about it, and everybody knows that Stand By Me is great. I mean, anyone who grew up with this movie, they know. Susan Pittman, one of our dedicated Patreon supporters, unofficially requested this
1: review. Shout out to the chicken.
0: <laughs> but also, my Sans dovetailed into my... Keifer Sants? No, <laughs> my River Phoenix, and I got all obsessed with River Phoenix, and then it kind of led me back to you know this old staple. He was like a national treasure, and we lost him at twenty-three. It's so insane.
1: He's always gonna be Chris Chambers to me. This is where he's immortalized. He was actually slated to be the reporter in Interview with the Vampire. I actually think he would have made a great vampire.
0: Like in a Christian Slater kind of way? Right.
1: I think Christian Slater looks like a dude, whereas River Phoenix looked sort of otherworldly, high cheek bony, like a vampire. Right. Like Anne Rice's vampires. But uh, but we never got to see that. But for all the River Phoenix talk and all the good looks and all that junk, he's still white T-shirt Chris Chambers to me.
0: He is so good as Chris Chambers, and he's a kid. What, are they supposed to be 12? And he was 16 at the time, I guess.
1: Yeah, he was one of the older ones. And strangely, Jerry O'Connell looks ridiculously young and chubby in this movie when he grew up to be all like Jerry Maguire, football player, Frank Cushman. Cush,
0: lash, I got Cush, lash.
1: All like carved and, and athletic. And so he doesn't look the same to me. But this will always be River Phoenix. This will always be Will Wheaton and uh kind of Kiefer Sutherland. I mean, he never outgrew this spiky haired, mulletish kind of vibe. Like he would he did this and the Lost Boys and Young Guns, and this is all in the eighties.
0: This is their base role, except for maybe Corey Feldman.
1: Well, because Corey Feldman, it's this and the Goonies and the Lost Boys.
0: But these are just I mean, they're just Kids, They're between like 12 and 15 years old. Although the Chris Chambers character seems so mature and so emotionally in touch and vulnerable. And yet he's cool. Like what a great character.
1: Yeah, until he breaks down and sobs, hugging his knees like a little kid.
0: Well, that's the vulnerable.
1: Yeah, no, it's great. How much I've railed on kids messing up movies. And you don't have pirate ships and one-eyed willy and all this junk to rely on. But it's just sort of them each having their emotional arc. I mean, we're talking about why. Why Stand By Me endures for us. I think I personally was one of the last generation of the in by the streetlights, out all day, getting dirty, drinking hose water, climbing on roofs, getting in trouble and getting really hurt and being more afraid of mom's reaction than scars. This movie is about kids from an era before I was born but the themes are universally appealing because they did all the stuff that I did. Stay out of the house all day and run around. I didn't quite have the woods. It was the urban sprawl, but we went off on adventures and junk. And I went off to discover dead bodies and stuff and, and like, told mom and dad I was staying at, at Joey's house. And he told his mom he was staying at our house and we like go sleep on the roof at the school or something. Is that true? Yeah. We just wanted to be out and about in the nighttime. The freedom and the escape was all outside.
0: Like, why don't kids do that anymore? Why does it seem more dangerous now that we have all of this technology and
1: advanced security? I've been in the bed of pickups on the freeway.
0: All right, I've got a couple other um, trivia questions for you. Go. What does Gordy, what does Mr. Lachance call Gordy's friends?
1: Uh, Two, a thief and two (laughs) thieves. (laughs) Was it was it is it because they're feeble minded?
0: I was going to ask you. Yes, I think.
1: I mean, maybe Vern and Teddy, not the strongest contenders for most likely to succeed. (laughs) It's
0: a nice way of putting it.
1: He's a forklift operator at the Arsenal Lumberyard and Teddy's doing odd jobs around Castle Rock. Maybe Mr. Lachance was kind of spot on. Also, Chris was a thief
0: he stole the the milk money that makes him a thief in my book
1: (laughs) what's the next one
0: who calls who a morphodite
1: Uh, don't call me any of your mother's pet names (laughs) that was Teddy to Gordy (laughs) bonus
0: what is a morphodite
1: (laughs) was it the kid bastardization of a hermaphrodite is there (laughs) what's a morphodite
0: yes it is sometimes referred to as a testicular disorder, otherwise known as hermaphroditism.
1: You got nothing on me. What else?
0: If you could have one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Pez.
1: Cherry-flavored Pez, no question about it. That was actually on the poster art, if you can believe that.
0: Sounds like a or-whatever-movies
1: type quote. It's just a slice of life for the little kids. But that one also, the junkyard conversation where the morphodite conversation happened, that was uh, also a funny edit that I remember. Richard Dreyfuss is narrating, talking about the dreaded Chopper. And obviously yeah. in the TV edit, Chopper couldn't sick balls. He couldn't? So, nope. So in the edit, he would say, and you'd hear the dreaded cry, Chopper, sick kid. <laughs> would it be like, sick kid? It was tonally off and it was kid <laughs> in the middle. I mean, I remember this VHS copy we had because we watched it to death.
0: All right, what is Vern's reply to the question? Did your mother ever have kids that lived?
1: I don't think he had a reply, did he?
0: Well, his reply is, what does that mean? Which is my question. What does that
1: mean? I honestly don't know. (laughs) much, Much was confusing, I will admit. Even as an adult, some of the 50s expressions were lost on me. Like, I still don't know what a pat hand is. What's a wet end? wet end? I don't know. As a kid, even in the unedited version, I thought he called him a redhead. You knew it was loaded, oh, redhead. you redhead.
0: So is do you feel like this represents childhood or that it glamorizes childhood from a c- certain
1: era? I think it does both because this movie doesn't have a lot of special effects. So it really can't look dated because not only is the filmmaking not dated, but it also represents a time before our existence don't have any real basis for it so in that way it holds up to me the only real dating is how unflinching a look it is at how kids act and behaved this is always my benchmark for movies of the 80s that were just different It wasn't shocking when kids would swear in movies. It didn't have to be South Park, like, whoa, they're kids, but they're swearing. They were swearing, they were smoking, they were insulting each other, breaking the law at every turn. It wasn't glamorous. They were damaged. Their parents were assholes. And I don't think we'll ever see an era like this again.
0: I wonder if Stand By Me is the root of me loving dude bro movies.
1: Maybe. I mean, I sat Kelly and Rebecca down and I watched this. This is in Rebecca's like formative film education days. And I, I think it bounced right off of both of them. Really, I don't think this taps into kids who are 14 in the same way that it did when I was 14. But also, Stand By Me this year turns 35 years old.
0: Can we talk more about River Phoenix?
1: <laughs> yeah. Are you reluctant because this makes you feel old?
0: Maybe that was a weird reaction to not wanting to feel so old. Or John Cusack, who has another weird kind of cameo, like Nat again, like cameo in this.
1: Yeah, way too baby-faced. But consider the kids in this movie are would be about mom and dad's age. Oh, now? Yep. And so this older town of maybe just Portland was because they had these this small town aesthetic, you know, with the railroad crossings and the storefronts from the 50s and... It all looked the same, you know? I don't think Stand By Me would work in a, in a city.
0: No. No, of course not. It was um, It's a different time, but it's also a different, yeah, geographically it's also different.
1: But it, I guess it was remote enough that where they were filming, which was actually in Oregon, there was a Renaissance Fair nearby during filming. Yeah. Because legend has it the cast and crew went to this Renaissance Fair or checked it out, or some of them did, and they found uh, poor Jerry O'Connell, who played Vern, like huddled up next to a tree or something, crying his little eyes out because he ate like some pot brownie or something. They bought some cookies and they were laced. (gasps) Is that true? Yeah, as recounted by several members of the crew.
0: I think he was legitimately traumatized by the train scene too. I seem to recall in, in an interview or something or another, Rob Reiner saying that the kids did not display an appropriate amount of fear in the train scene.
1: Oh, you're talking about where Gordy and Vern are on the trestle. Yeah, the train was on an actual trestle with an actual train behind them now there was some forced perspective and stuff to make it look like it was much closer but that thing was coming a b they were on the actual trestle and they laid down some boards so they didn't have to actually run on the railroad ties Mm, yeah but those mm -hmm. poor kids you'd think they would have been horrified but they weren't until rob started screaming at them
0: that was right he got mad at them and made them scared
1: he pretended to get mad at them and he screamed that they were screwing up the movie holding everyone up all these people are out here for you and you're screwing around and wasting everybody's time and was screaming at them. And so they were I mean, this just speaks to the age of this filmmaking. They couldn't have made they I don't believe they could make stand by me today, partially because I don't think you can get Rob Reiner to scream at kids and traumatize kids to get your shot on a railway trestle in Oregon somewhere.
0: I mean, we talk about actors getting all methody, but I guess directors do it too.
1: Yeah, I mean, because kids do—they have that capacity. Maybe River Phoenix did, but otherwise, they were just kids. And you know, what am I supposed to do? Think of everything I brought the comb. <laughs> I mean, you need a comb for it. you? Don't even have any hair.
0: I brought it for you guys, because kids aren't method. They just sometimes they just need that little extra oomph. That little extra push to like get
1: tap into the realness.
0: Exactly. They have to.
1: I mean, don't get me wrong. I think the kids were cared for. I think they had a bond of camaraderie on the set. It's just, it was a different time and maybe different results are needed. The the approach to get kids and animals to act like the swamp with the leeches. That pond, they were like, we're not going to just have kids dunk into the water. What if there's real leeches in there? So to make them feel better, they dug a specially designed trench for that weird water scene, brought in an excavator, and, and dug the hole and filled it with water so the kids would feel safe. At least they know it's created by the production and not some natural bog or something. Right. Except they dug the hole and then the scene was delayed or put off or it wasn't until later in the schedule. So it was like four months later, left out <gasps> in the woods All full of real, like, slugs and leeches and leaves and dead junk. No. Try your best to take care of kid actors or whatever, but this feels like a very small movie. Even though it's sort of a road trip movie, sort of a travel buddy movie, it was all just kids tromping through the woods and on old-looking train tracks and stuff.
0: I guess that's why this movie really falls back on its writing. And the literature of it is great. The performances are great. The Casting is stupendous and Richard Dreyfuss has a really weird nerdy voice that makes the narration great.
1: Do you think that this movie inspired the nostalgia narration of The Wonder Years with Daniel Stern who has an equally sort of reedy nasally voice?
0: You were all kinds of into Wonder Years. I never got into that one.
1: Wonder Years was the bomb. I don't think it's too similar.
0: 5 Reasons Why Stand By Me is immortalized in your film pantheon.
1: This is the question you're asking me? Yep. Uh, I felt like it was a very real, unconventional story. I felt like it was one of those stories that you wouldn't expect would translate successfully to a movie. A group of four misfit kids setting off in search of a dead body? Family Fair. (laughs) And I do regard this as family entertainment. I mean, it's a little bit hard to watch in places because these kids are out on their own without family where they can be free to be themselves and they're crass and gross and dumb and, you know, and offensive. So I liked that. It was well-made filmmaking, which was about story and about character. And it wasn't Flash. It was like The Outsiders to me. It was a coming-of-age tale that wasn't robots in disguise. I appreciated that. Wait, how many reasons do I have to come up with? Two more. It was some level of justification of my place in the world as kind of an outcast growing up. I was probably most like the Vern character and pretty hapless, but good-natured and just wanted to be part of the bunch. This is before I became all embittered and jaded. I liked that Vern could fit in with kids and could drink and smoke and break the law and risk his life. And because I grew up and cut my teeth literature-wise on Stephen King. He was the J.K. Rowling of his generation. This was my my never-ending story. This was my princess bride. This was my little dorky kid exploring other worlds. And most of those other worlds were horror. And I read everything I could get my hands on by Stephen King. And I liked that this movie... I mean, you talk about The Green Mile and you talk about Shawshank Redemption. And it being atypical of Stephen King because it's not horror. What he's what he's known for. I think Stand By Me is pretty far from horror. Or at least his story, The Body, despite its, uh, its title. It was different. And in that way, it was an adaptation that I could see and watch endlessly that mom and dad wouldn't have had a problem with under any circumstances, right? I mean, I would argue to say that Stand By Me gave me more ideas for bad stuff that I could do than any horror (laughs) or action movie. I mean, it's kind of an adventure movie, right?
0: It's totally an adventure movie, and they have an outward adventure that's very clear. And even Gordy says at some point in the film, like... We knew who we were, and we knew exactly where we were going. And they were in that moment. They were present in their lives. So good. And they were so good.
1: That's when everyone is more or less on an equal playing field, even though Chris becomes a lawyer and Vern and Teddy are still kicking around Castle Rock.
0: This was the moment where their lives collided And they were enmeshed with each other and they were real and they were vulnerable and they were raw. And this captures so much of those. It delivers on the promise of who has friends like the ones you have when you're 12.
1: I liked it because it wasn't a movie with grand designs. They thought they were going to be famous or whatever, but ultimately it was about them and their friendship and their journey to, you know, sort of coming of age because nobody cared that they found the dead body. They didn't return heroes. It wasn't even that a uh, moment, that momentous occasion. It was just an important time in their lives that was captured. My question is we had this recommendation from our friend, Susan Pittman and you stand by me was one of the inspirations for one of your first screenplays and you've loved it ever since you were a kid. Whereas you didn't know anything about predator. So my question to you is from a lady's perspective, why is stand by me so important to you and to susan Pittman, aka the chicken that she would request it
0: i don't know i can speak for susan let alone my gender but this movie has really made such a mark on me when i was watching it last night i was like taken aback by how many of their mannerisms and their reactions to things i've adopted from myself and i think is the genesis for my loving dudes growing down and liking to have friends in my life with whom I can bro down in really real, raw, and comfortable kinds of ways. Um, For me, you know, this movie kind of boils down to River Phoenix and his very complex, very real Chris Chambers character. But it also is, there's also a big part, which we really didn't discuss, of the music that I completely relate to mom and you know, this is Mom's music and the music that I grew up with in the background as I played. so one is River Phoenix. Two is this music that trans that also transports me to my childhood. Three, the idea that this is kind of the basis for what how i how I measure like friendship if friendship is real and you can feel comfortable and raw and vulnerable with each other. Stand by me is just a very personally important film for me.
1: Yeah, the, the music is interesting because that was the music of mom's childhood, being around these kids' age, give or take, but also because we grew up with mom listening to those music. That, for me, was my formative years. That was seminal music for me from mom. That was what were considered oldies at the time, pop classics, right? Then we got Motown and Soul from dad, but these songs didn't feel dated because we were listening to them All the time at the time we were watching this movie. It was supposed to be a nostalgia throwback.
0: Right. And I feel like it's revealing these weird things about who I am that I didn't realize. So when I'm looking back, I'm like seeing how this movie shaped me when I was a kid and how it's carried with me to this day.
1: So maybe people will be happy to learn about the stuff that we experienced and how this movie weaves into our lives. I didn't even get into my dead body story, which you know, but nobody else knows.
0: I don't know that I do. And you ref- you like offhandedly reference it. And I was like, do I?
1: Yeah, very long story short. We had a, a, a helicopter. You pull the little zip tie thing and it shoots directly up into the air. Whoom, and it turns the rotor and it goes up. Got caught in a tree. Uh, in the neighborhood, right, you know, a couple doors down from from home, we were throwing tennis balls to dislodge this little helicopter from the tree. They went. Most of the tennis balls went over the neighbor's fence, so we ran over and jumped over the neighbor's fence to go get it. And there, on the other side, was a dead body. And so we gathered around it. I think we poked it or tried to turn it over before calling the cops. And it turned out some dude had been thrown out of a hotel window and had walked across the rooftops for a couple of blocks. They traced the the, the drops of blood. We sat around and watched it all day long. They circled the drops of blood down over the rooftops, down the driveway where he climbed up to, on the neighbor's porch, fell over the railing and died. And we, my group of kids in on the block, uncovered it.
0: Nobody knew where the body was until you guys found it?
1: I think it had been since that morning, and the couple were uh, were pretty old, so I don't know that they went out and checked their side yard any time that day. And so he had probably been there about 12 hours by the time we found him. my God. And I was like, that's crazy. And I went inside and got a box of Nilla wafers and came back outside. And I was sitting on the curb watching all the goings on with all the police and stuff and eating Nilla wafers. And this other kid that that one of the other people, one of the other kids who found the body, he like had his head in his hands. He was being all dramatic. And I was like, you want a Nilla wafer? And he like smacked the box out of my hand (laughs) like I was being some kind of jerk. And, and ignoring the profound life experience he was undergoing. It's like, dude, drama queen.
0: Maybe it shouldn't be a party, Wes. <laughs>
1: maybe. Maybe going to find a dead kid shouldn't be a party. But it is. But, but, I mean, they were singing on the way home. And they made an anonymous call. And it wasn't a thing because it just weaved into the fabric of their lives. And it's not like they knew the kid personally. They just, for the first time, glimpsed the concept of mortality. And fully embraced their life in doing so, right? I mean, kids are resilient. Yeah. And this movie shaped my experiences more than finding an actual dead body because it put it into a dramatic musical context for me.
0: I mean, it's too obvious to talk about, like, Gordy's evolution, right, and coming to terms with his brother's death and coming
1: to, into his own. Maybe this was the wonder years for each one of these kids, probably, arguably, the best and most memorable time in Teddy's or Vern's life. And for Gordy, it was the moment where he didn't know where he stood without his brother. All of a sudden, he's coming into his own and expected to be somebody, and he didn't know who that person was. And Chris Chambers, such a senseless loss in this movie that adult Gordy was having a hard time wrapping his head around. By the way, much younger Richard Dreyfus than I am right now in reflecting on his golden year, on his wonder years.
0: So you're rating on... Stand By Me is
1: yeah unquestionably totally hugely important for some people and with good reason
0: and there you have it a totally from Wes a good from Iris that's our review on one of the most important movies in my life Stand By Me are we out of our minds or is this like or was this a strangely seminal film for you too 818 or whatever movies at com. thanks and we'll see you next time